Astra Travelers, and welcome back to Tales of Tabat, a Genshin Lore podcast. Last week, my fellow guides and I spiraled down into the depths of the abyss with you all. From child, to mages, to strange tentacle statue witchcraft, we're only just starting to recover from it all ourselves. In today's episode, we're going to be discussing Mondstadt's lord and savior, Vanessa. Before we start, I want to remind travelers to visit talesofdevot.com to see visual representations of the lore mentioned during today's podcast. Us hoes have put them together for you to make things a little easier to understand, and this episode will be heavily influenced by the manga, which is linked on the site right now in case you need a little refresh or want to take a peek at it before you listen. Now, let's jump into things. Vanessa's the very first thing we see when we open the manga. The prequel is 85% about her. When you guys opened the manga and saw her, what were your first instincts? Damn, she's hot. Mm -hmm. Yes, mommy material. Like, let's... First off, okay, full on... I was like, wait, wait, this was not the vision of Vanessa I had in my head. Because, of course, when I think of Vanessa, I think of Jean. But I was very, like very glad of like the difference we saw and it's like ooh, oh she's strong oh she buff let's go <laughs> strongy mommy let's go she reminded me of alloy 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 yeah I say it wrong. Oh aloy. yes yeah. aloy she does boo <gasps> uh-uh, uh-uh. <gasps> Fuck, how fucking dare you do that to ashley birch i can't you I only liked Aloy during Windbloom when I could hide as her in Leeway and people would just think I blended in because most people don't have her. Oh my her. god. <laughs> <laughs> I I want her so bad. I want more characters to come in like Aloy. In fact, I want one specific one. I want the Witcher. <laughs> I want Geralt of Rivia to come into this game because mm. I want my white wolf daddy mm. to come back. I miss the Witcher. Anyway tangent over <laughs> the white wolf he's gonna like intimidate andreas and razor exactly exactly i have to say whenever someone brings up aloy and doing other like collabs with other games i just think that they have to get genshin in the fortnite every time oh my god i would get back oh in my the god fortnite totally I, I would just be amber going up with a tactical shotgun to everybody's face going blat blat like let's go i don't i would stream fortnite just for this i i don't yeah. even care i'll do it i'm honestly really surprised that that hasn't been something that's come up especially with the anniversary coming up and all that kind of stuff but like fortnite's been doing a lot of marvel dragon ball z and things like that too so they're a little busy i guess they've been doing a lot of anime collabs yeah, there's Naruto, there's Dragon Ball Z. I think there was another speculated thing. Was it Demon Slayer? No, I think that was just wishful thinking. That'd be cool. That would be amazing. Yeah, they've been adding a lot more anime-type characters into Fortnite, too. Mm-hmm, like Ariana Grande. Oh my <laughs> god! Look, Piggy Smalls, man, is my favorite backpack. Piggy Smalls is the best. Epic and Hoyoverse, if you're out there the people have spoken anyway when i first saw vanessa i thought oh my god who the hell is this you guys were all better than me i my immediate thought was like who is this why does she matter i had no concept that this was a prequel in the first chapter of the manga and i thought it was like current day and i was like we never met you who are you go away i really loved it i and like al i was I was very nerdy about Vanessa because of Jean's storyline, so I was really excited. So I guess then, 
Before we jump into how she relates to Jean, we should talk a little bit about Vanessa's story as a whole. Vanessa was a Marotta. We talked a few episodes about the Marotta people and how they were from Natlan, and they all have beautiful, fiery red hair, similar to a certain winery owner that we know, but we'll get to that later. You were about to say dinery. <laughs> I was the one dinery. <laughs> the one dinery. Yeah. I think, okay, this is a big leap, but the majority of, like, the iconography or, like, how Vanessa is dressed is very gladiatorial. So it reminded me, especially when she's in the Colosseum and the fact that she's a quote-unquote slave, reminded me so much of, like, slave fights and tournaments in ancient Rome where, like, ah, you want to get freedom? Fight your way out. And I think that's why I was like, I am instantly into this. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So just to backtrack a little bit, we initially meet Vanessa in the manga and she is taking care of someone named Lynn, which at first I thought was short for Lindsay because it had the D in there, but it's not. They just call her Lynn. Lynn, we don't know who she is, but we're assuming it's Vanessa's younger sister or a relative or something. Vanessa is taking care of her from some unknown illness and is talking about getting her some more medicinal herbs tomorrow when she goes out to pray to Celestia. Lynn comes out and is like, oh, Vanessa, what are you doing? And she's like, please go to bed. The Archons would not be happy with you, but they would be happy to see you're recovering well if you went to bed. Gets Lynn to go to bed. The next day, Vanessa goes to Mondstadt to pick up some more herbs. She runs into Venti, who is causing some major issues at the Bahar Postum Festival. And he quite literally runs into her like she's a brick wall. Yeah, he says, oh, I thought I ran into a brick wall. I, I thought that was very funny. Also very venti to like immediately insult this person who like looks like she could physically like dominate him. Oh, I don't think it's an insult. I think he's into it. Oh, yeah, he's into it. Mm -hmm. I just mm -hmm. don't think Venti realizes that certain things he said could be taken the wrong way, even if he right. means it well. <laughs> right. I don't think Venti cares enough to, to be like, true. He just does. Venti just does. Not for nothing, but if a little bard boy ran into me and then told me that he felt like he ran into a brick wall, I'd be offended. <laughs> I just start singing, she's a brick wall. <laughs> I'm full into song. <laughs> The Genshin the musical. Oh yeah. my god, the, the true world Venti wants. Yes. Like he's running around in a diaper. Oh, not the Venti mm -hmm. diaper again. It's the Venti diaper. I know they're like puffy bloomers, whatever, but like it's a diaper. He just doesn't give he just does Venti. Hampers Hoyoverse collab when. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so they physically run into each other. Vanessa gets into a little bit of trouble because of everything with Venti and the Lawrence clan, who is the head of the aristocracy and is ruling Monsa at the time, kind of yells at her. She goes back to her house, gives Lynn the herbal meds, talks to some of the people who seem to be more so her elders or people she works with. She's then told that the Lawrence clan has purchased her and her family and her tribe, I guess, because they are slaves after all, and that they're going to make them fight for their right to live, basically. They take her over to the Colosseum-esque thing we have right below the Thousand Winds Temple over near Starstatch Cliff. They seem to do some fighty-whitey stuff with Ursa the Drake, and he basically says all of her people have to fight. Vanessa gets Venti's help fighting Ursa the Drake. Ursa is injured and flies away to never be seen again. Cuff, cough, until Crepus Ravager dies. Cough, cough. <laughs> and... 
then she takes over Mondstadt and she's put in charge and she forms the Knights of Favonius. I think it's interesting that one of the reasons why they bought her tribe is because she basically pissed off the the younger Lawrence and he was just like, oh yeah, you think so? I'm just gonna buy all you people. Just make you fight. Be the entertainment for everybody. What a dick. Very Roman. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of Russell Crowe. But I definitely saw <laughs> this particular image happening. Also, I love when the heiress, the bourgeoisie gets fucked over. So, yeah, like I just want it. Mm. The birds work for the bourgeoisie, aka Vanessa yeah! as a falcon. <gasps> don't you dare don't you dare another thing that i thought was interesting too with that whole fight and even when they're when they're enslaved venti goes to visit vanessa in prison and basically says like hey want me to get you out of here i'll just do my little wispy thing and we'll be all gone it'll be great and she has a line that she's like basically like no because if you help us free us then we're just enslaved to you we need to free ourselves and have our own freedom the integrity, integrity farms. Mm -hmm. What's funny about that is Venti's entire life, he's been like, freedom means nothing if you're answering to a god, because then you're not free. And Vanessa has the same mindset as Venti before she's even talked with him and really understands that he might be Barbados. So I think that's why they click right away. Yeah, they definitely have very similar outlooks and you can see how they became close friends yeah you can see that he's really inspired by her yes i would agree especially because in the manga when you first see venti like waking up he's like how long have i been asleep for and he really has no idea why he's here he knows his people's cries have woken him up but he's like why have they woken up? <laughs> so then to run into someone like vanessa right off the bat it's like he found the golden ticket before he even understood the problem hundred percent. Hello, I just woke up from a two three hour nap. I'm sweating and dehydrated. What's going on? <laughs> Vanessa then starts the Knights of Favonius, and she becomes not only the Dandelion Knight, but the Lion Fang Knight as well. Why does she have two titles? And are both of those titles held by Jean? Because I know Jean found out at 15 that she was the Dandelion Knight, and it was like this huge celebration and Jean herself was a little upset about it. She felt like she was always training and trying to be like the new key person for the Gunhilder clan. But she always missed out on childhood things because of that. So is the Dandelion Knight, is it worth it? Or is it worth it because you get two titles? Is Lion Fang a promotion of Dandelion? I don't know. I think they are separate titles, but both worthy so we know vanessa was both the dandelion knight and the lion fang knight and they kind of come with two different connotations the lion fang knight is about physically protecting your people which is exactly what vanessa did in the rebellion and the dandelion knight is more of looking out for the people's best interests which is also what vanessa did and vanessa being the first grandmaster had both titles however no one has had both titles since. And I think that's because all grandmasters after Vanessa have either taken up the mantle of one of the attributes. And Jean is the dandelion knight, I think because her aspect of helping her people rather than the constant physical protection of said people is what really makes her stand out as the current acting grandmaster that's actually really interesting lion tooth knight and dandelion knight are both lohenzahn in german 
Ooh, look at you. Reading German. Yeah. <laughs> woo woo. <laughs> Is Sprechen Sie Deutsch? Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> so I think it's very interesting that in the first English translation of the manga, Vanessa is known as the Lion's Tooth Knight. And then as it goes into the game, in Jean's story, she's also, you know, named the Lion Fang Knight. So there does seem to be a bit of a translation thing there. And the word Lohenzahn in German actually means both lion and dandelion. Oh, okay. so that could even mean that they really are the same thing. And there's either a translation within the Genshin world itself and just kind of like this whole thing from the manga to the game. It could just be actually the same thing. You know, Genshin does that a lot. I've seen a few typos in character lines and I've seen some things where they call like the abyss person, like the prince. They're like, oh, they call their leader the prince. And even if you play as Ether, where it should say like princess. Yeah. So that doesn't surprise me. But it seems that maybe they changed the title as well because yeah. Dandelion Knight is more fit with the wind. Very much. That that would totally make sense, especially she was Lion Fang Knight before while she was like under this uh, in the whole enslaved thing and she was fighting against corruption and slavery. And then when she changed to Dandelion Knight, she was more for peace and, mm -hmm. you know, kind of kumbaya all over the place. So that could be it too, of just her, her natural transition and then becoming the signifier of Dandelion and just how important we know that Dandelions are for Mondstadt. It also could be an issue where her title was a Maraudin title as opposed to a Mondstadt title. Oh, very true. That's a good point. So maybe the Gunhilder clan and the Ragnander clan kind of spoke with her and were like, listen, we don't care, but the people of Mondstadt might. Yeah. Like you're not in Natlon anymore. A little bit of like, you know, kind of politicizing, <laughs> kind of changing over the name. That That's interesting to get them to kind of like her more. That also brings me to a question, though, of what happened to the Maradas in Mondstadt? What happened to the rest of her clan? Like, her tribe? Yeah, because we said the last episode, in the, when we were talking about Eula and the aristocracy, um, I think you mentioned, Fiends, that there's like, there's none there. No, the only red-headed beauty we have is Dilu, current day. <laughs> They're originally from Notlan, right? So, depending on the time when they were taken from Notlan, they probably wanted to just go back home, which, you know, is fine. There's a big possibility that several stayed in Mondstadt, and, you know, lives, and there are probably many people that are, like, actually descended from the Marauders, but nothing very clear. It was also a thousand years ago, yeah. so, like, it's hard to truly know it's true. And I mean, the Marauder went to Mondstadt seeking refuge because of the whole Drake thing and mm -hmm. having problems and stuff like that. So it could have been like, okay, we're we're good now. Like, let's go back. The, the Drake is gone. Vanessa's people had been wandering for 10 years prior to getting to Mondstadt. I guess I guess they're not very close. So the map look, that we're look, looking at it now. Took decades to go through the sands. <laughs> oh, but that's interesting, too, because isn't in the trailer, the new trailer for Sumeru, that mentions the Murata as well, right? So then maybe it's south of there, which would be their little zigzaggy way up. And I could see that taking a long time. Also true. The desert region of Sumeru is awesome and could definitely be... This desert region of Sumeru could definitely bring some more lore as we continue to explore it more, too. 
But I don't know. I have a lot of questions still because if Lynn is Vanessa's little sister, why didn't Lynn stay with her minimally? And also, if all of her people wanted to go back to Notlon so bad, Vanessa could have left the Gunhilder clan in charge. She could have left the Ragnander clan in charge. She trusted both of them. Vanessa pardoned both of those families. She could have left both of them in charge and gone home with her people, which makes me feel like there must have been something more going on. But think about it. The Lawrence clan was ruling. What's to say that Who's to say that the that these other two houses wouldn't fall into the same like greed of power in like corruption? Because I mean power always like corrupts and then you're still not free because you have somebody ruling over you at that point still. But also who how is Vanessa supposed to stop both of those people from overpowering her? Like she's one person. These two families aren't gonna overpower her. Yeah. Not when you got Barbados on your side. Exactly. I guess that's the point. Yeah, Barbados. <laughs> We're not really privy to what happens after she wins the, the reigns of Mondstadt, though. No, we mm-hmm. only see a very quick insight in Venti's for Wins trailer. Yeah, and that's, speaking of that, this is why we are obsessed with Lion Fang versus Dandelion, because one of the four wins of Mondstadt is the Lion of the South. It would make sense why they should have kept Lion in there, but they didn't. Yeah, my mind's still going like, ooh, it is the South, and the Sumeru South. I'm going down this hole. My mind is just going in 10,000 different directions. I'm going to keep it all in there for right now. So this way it's not a huge run on sentence. (laughs) But she's technically the Falcon of the West, which is also like why her sword, you know, Quilla Favonia, translate Eagle of the West Wind in Latin. Right. Well, she becomes the Falcon after she ascends to Celestia, correct? Exactly. And who has a Falcon? Dealer. Jean's lover. That motherfucking redhead boy has more shit going on than we know. But wait, before we get into D-Loop, so we're saying that Vanessa later becomes the Falcon of the West. Who's the North, South, East? So there's the Wolf of the North, which is Andreas. The Dragon of the East, which is Devalin. There's the Lion of the South, which could be Vanessa. Some stuff suggests that it's the Knights of Favonius in general make up the Lion of the South. That would make sense. That would make sense because there is, and I know I've mentioned this before, but there's rumor that there is a additional section of Mondstadt that hasn't been released yet. I don't know how true that is, of course. But if it were true, then the Knights of Favonius would be located south of the rest of Mondstadt, hypothetically speaking. You mean the Dandelion Sea, a.k.a. that weird port that is supposed to be an epic center of things? Yeah, that we've never seen or heard about, including from our Kaya pirate friend. But also, what did you say the wolf is? The wolf of the north? Yeah. That's totally Game of Thrones, too. Oh my god, that just cracked me up. <laughs> but then shouldn't shouldn't he be north of Mondstadt then, if the south is the Knights of Pavonius? Yeah, there's a, there's, well, there's a bunch of uh, yeah. geography. I think... Problems in this. This is me throwing out my crazy crack theories again. What if the Lion of the South is Istaroth? And that would make sense because the Thousand Winds Temple is south of the wolf. Can you remind us, less traveled travelers, who (laughs) Istaroth is, please? Istaroth is the god of time who was once worshipped alongside Barbados in Mondstadt. So when Mondstadt first became a thing, they were settling it initially with the the Imalaker clan, the Ragnander clan, and the Gunhilder family. When the three of them were settling Mondstadt, they worshipped two gods, Barbados and Istaroth. Venti says a lot of stuff about how wind and time works hand in hand. He seems to know more than he's letting on about 
about Istaroth. Istaroth is also said to be related back to the primordial one, which is an even bigger issue in all of Genshin. And I'll let maybe Brandon talk about that in a second if he wants. It's a lot to take on. But before we jump into that, I just want to say that Istaroth was worshipped at the Thousand Winds Temple, which is all the way over on the right side of Mondstadt near Star Snatch Cliff. And there's also what I like to call the Thousand Winds Temple extension site off the coast, a little north of the Spiral Abyss as well. Those were both said to be things that Istaroth was worshipped at or were temples for Istaroth. And Istaroth was also said to be the only god that really paid any mind to Inkanomiya when they sunk into the sea. So there's a lot going on there too. Yeah. And I know one of your favorite theories, Feeny, is that Paimon is some kind of version of Istaroth. Yes. One thing that we've been learning in Sumeru with the Aranara is that, and I, I know we mentioned this a lot now because it's just such a big plot twist, I find, but the Aranara really give the idea off that you can start off a big scary monster or a big crazy pool god and you can give up your power to save something or someone or your people and become something much smaller. And again, the main example we have of that is Guoba. Guba. Guba, who is Zhang Ling's little bear guy, how he used to be the stove god and now he's a little cute bear guy that lights fire to things for her. <laughs> There's a lot of theories out there that Isaroth could have sacrificed themselves for someone or something or their people and then became little Paimon who has no idea what the hell is going on but knows Tavat like the back of her hand. I love that theory. It also makes sense when you pause the game. If you're on PC and you hit escape or whatever button if you're on controller, when we're paused, Paimon moves. Mm -hmm. She's not affected by pausing time. <laughs> it's like, and she looks at us like a little, little freaking creep. And you know what? I mean, it makes sense if it is, but god damn it, Paimon, stop looking at me. Something I think makes a theory even cooler in concept too is that Istaroth and Venti would have known each other and maybe Istaroth sacrificed themselves to save Venti. Maybe they sacrificed themselves during the Cataclysm or during the Archon War, which Venti was both a part of. So there's a lot that goes into Istaroth and where they might eventually one day come in. But isn't it true that they might be one of like the four shards of the Primordial One? The four shining shades, yeah. So... Who's the primordial one again? So the primordial one is what the people think of as God, as like a one creator God. This is like their Zeus? Yes. W hold up, hold up. Correction, Zeus is not a creator God. Thank you very much. Oh. <laughs> I will correct that quick. There are many creator gods out there. Like a Yahweh? Yeah, like Yahweh. The primordial one would be if the people of Tavat followed a monotheistic point of view. That's like the god. And then made little gods afterwards? Well, so the, the whole thing is that this monotheistic god came in and took over the light slash elemental realm, which featured the seven sovereigns. And that's where we are right now, right? Tavat is in the light realm. Well, Tavat is the human realm. God damn which it. Which arguably was built on top of of the light realm okay oh but so technically <laughs> it would be the same could be 10 points to hufflepuff for feeny yeah <laughs> 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 I mean, my theory is that they did build it on top of the light, the light realm and that the seven sovereigns are now the seven archons. Oh, interesting. 
like that their power was stolen from the seven and when i say seven sovereigns i'm talking about seven elemental dragons so the primordial one was the god of tavat and the god of tavat then created seven sovereigns so like the seven sovereigns existed before oh and then the primordial one showed up and was like you know what i love people i'm gonna create the heavens and the earth to serve the people so the primordial one created what we know as the human realm the primordial one was not bees (laughs) (laughs) no it definitely was not (laughs) i've never seen them in the same place though so (laughs) yeah but i think it's the liking of all the people brandon would have destroyed the human realm Uh (laughs) uh-huh I would have thrown it into the sea. (laughs) Good riddance, human realm. So the primordial one comes around and says, hey, seven sovereigns, I'm going to rule you now and I'm going to be in charge. And they're cool with that? Um, I don't think there's much lore about if they were cool with it. I'm assuming they were not. That's interesting because in the manga, we do see dragons flying around Celestia. Is Ursa the Drake one of the seven sovereigns maybe or related to one? That thought makes me really think because you were saying something about maybe the seven sovereigns becoming the seven archons. But the primordial one was around thousands of years ago and the archon war was what? Less than 2000 years ago? Ooh, good question. I don't know. Ursa first shows up a thousand years ago, but then shows back up four years ago. So he's the dragon's quite quite um age resistant. Dragons are immortal, my guy. Yeah, and Ursa's obsessed with Mondstadt. And for those of you who don't know, Ursa the Drake is the Drake that Vanessa fights, and then later is seen again in Mondstadt terrorizing them, and is the dragon that ends up fighting Krapus Ravenger and leading to his death. So that's D. Luke and Kaya's father. And then it is said that Dodore came around and that Dodore, one of our Fatui Harbingers, killed also Ursa the Drake, that she... saving Mondstadt and that Mondstadt should be in debt to the Fatui because of that. Yeah, that really, to me, establishes like this whole indebtedness of Mondstadt to Snezhnaya, mm-hmm. which helps explain to me why the goth hotel is allowed to <laughs> keep in business in Mondstadt. So true. It also makes sense as to why in the manga, Dodore and the other Fatui member that go with him to wine and dine, D. Luke and Seamus Pegg, who is Barbara's dad, but is also the head of the Church of Mondstadt. It makes sense why they were like, oh, this is going to be easy. We're definitely going to convince them to let us take their youth and take them to the Fatui with us. And then they all kind of huddle in the back and they're like, nah, brah, that ain't happening. No. So it's it's weird. There's a lot of weird stuff going on with Mondstadt and the Fatui. And I feel like Vanessa would be rolling over in her metaphorical celestial grave about it. Yeah. If the knights are ever being attacked by a falcon, we'll know why. And actually, <laughs> interesting enough, what if that's why D. Luke has Vanessa the falcon possibly? Because he is also kind of rebelling against the knights of Favonius and what they're doing and fighting the Fatui. So is D. Luke's falcon Vanessa? No idea. I think it could be. When Vanessa rose to Celestia, Celestia, she took on the form of a falcon. So it's definitely possible. Or maybe, and here's another whack fear theory, maybe Diluke isn't the child or like descendant of Vanessa, but maybe he's the descendant of her little sister, Lind. 
Oh, yeah. Maybe mm. Lind and uh, Ravinder got together. Yeah. Yeah. And then through down the line and maybe because obviously we know Vanessa rose to Celestia. There, I mean, we don't know if there are any demigods for sure when it comes to this. I mean, we have Adeptist. There's, there's a possibility like there's a demigod-esque line in that, but it seems to me it would be more reasonable that Vanessa's younger sister, Lind, you know, like, stayed in Mondstadt, did not follow her sister, and, you know, kind of decided to, like, make roots, and possibly Vanessa coming as a falcon is just watching over her, like, great times 32 nephew. It's definitely <laughs> a possibility, and it makes sense, again, just because for travelers who don't know, D Luke, he actually ran away from Mondstadt for several years after his father died. And he was being the Dark Knight. And he joined a secret spy force, basically, that we still know nothing about. And he was fighting, like, the Shneznayan people. He was fighting the Fatui. He's a wanted man in Shneznaya. Like, they don't fuck with him. So <laughs> if D. Luke did say, screw you, Knights of Favonius, and the way that you treated my father after his death, I'm going to go do things the right way. It doesn't surprise me that Vanessa would cling to a personality like that when the Knights aren't doing what she would want to have them doing. She wouldn't want them collaborating with the Fatui, the Saritza of all things. She would want them fighting against their people, possibly being enslaved in another sense. Because that's what the Fatui is trying to do in Mondstadt. They're trying to take the youth and enlist them in their army. Get them stuck. I also think that there's a certain poetry to Jean venerating Vanessa in the way that she does. And also being in love with Dilu. Hell yeah. Which Diluc and Jean were raised together, right? Not raised together, but they were friends growing up. They're childhood friends, yeah. They have, they um, they have turtles. To no, is it turtles or tortoises that they had? Well, I know there is a difference. Genshin doesn't see it as a big difference, so they use it interchangeably. Dang. One of them, you cannot go in water, guys. Do not put your tortoises in water. I would think it's turtles because you would think tortoises would be more like Sumeru Desert. Well, uh, unless they're uh, importing pets, which they also could be doing. I guess it really does depend on the tortoise. I mean, I live in Florida. I, I'm around a lot of Salcata tortoises and they can get fucking big. They're hefty babies, but they're yeah. very cute. I'm not in Florida, but my friend has a Salcata that's like 100 pounds. Yeah, yeah, that's and that's probably not done growing. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to go back a little bit to Jean and D. Lucas kids and how that kind of reiterates back to Vanessa because Jean finds out early on that she's a dandelion knight and Jean, Jean is raised knowing that she's going to become the dandelion knight. Even if she doesn't know until she's 15, her mother is very much like, you will take the Gunhilder clan spot. She's, in my opinion, very aristocracy Lawrence clan S, where she's like, this is your title. This is our power and you will have it. She was like grooming her to that role. For travelers who don't know, Jean and Barbara are actually sisters who were separated at a very young age by their parents because their parents had different thoughts and ideals for them. Barbara went with her father, Seamus Pegg, who is the head of the Church of Favonius, but currently is out with Master Varka on an expedition. Jean then gets stuck with mom becoming the poster child for the Gunhilder clan, which also makes sense because her mom's like, you can't take the last name Peg. You have to be a Gunhilder. Mm. You have to follow the legacy. Poor Jean. That makes sense. And then Barbara grows up and becomes a pop star. A pop 
pop star. <laughs> so it, it says that the title of the Dandelion Knight is bestowed only upon the most disting- distinguished of the knights, which makes sense. So Jean aside, you know, we've covered a lot so far. We've talked about the Marauders, the slave trade, how Vanessa then took over Monset, a lot of the stuff that we can't answer and a lot of assumptions, but that kind of takes us back to present day. In present day, we have a voice line from Venti where he tells us that the Pyro Archon is a wretched warmongering woman. In the manga, he kind of speaks nicer about the Pyro Archon to Vanessa. He's like, oh, she's a little funny, but, you know, she's a good person either way. And But he also calls her obnoxious. Yes, he does call her obnoxious. That's kind of my my funny, like, she's like, ah, oh, she's a little odd. But that's where a lot of theories on Reddit are saying that Vanessa could be the current pyro archon. And there's a lot of debate out there about that because now Venti doesn't like the pyro archon. I read the best theory (laughs) of how that, well, to me at least, that Vanessa is the Pyro Archon. And it's about her tree. I just want to let our travelers know that out of the seven original Archons, only two are still alive today. And that is Venti and Zhongli. So there's a very big chance that Vanessa could be the Pyro Archon because the old Pyro Archon that survived the Archon War is supposed to be dead. So now Tiff, tell us your theory just so we have a baseline yes i i love this theory i think it's fantastic just because it's one of those light bulb kind of moments so venti is an archon the only way that venti can be healed is by archon power and by no other means when he watches traveler heal devalin with the tears and all that kind of stuff he kind of gets like a little light in his in his eye like okay this i, I get this when Senora comes by and steals his gnosis, he goes to the tree to heal, like right to Winrise, right to Vanessa. And that's so it's like if he can only heal from other archons and the tree is Vanessa, I don't know. You're blowing my mind. <laughs> I mean, Jean also goes to the tree to get healed kind of too. So that's a little bit interesting. I mean, it's she's not really hurt as much as she's overworked, but her main thing, I mean, she loves that tree. So she's there all the time, but like... When she's overworked, she heads out to the tree to get like rejuvenated and stuff like that, too. So there could be a little bit of it in there. But really, it's the fact that the only place that Venti could heal was at the tree makes me go. Vanessa's the Archon of Natlon. I think you're on to something because the great oak tree in Windrise, that giant, beautiful tree is where vanessa's journey ended that's the place she rose as a falcon to celestia so it would make sense their celestial power aka archon power imbued in that tree yeah there actually wasn't a tree there originally she ascended there as a human to celestia and then left as the falcon afterwards but there was no tree the tree grew from her ascension which I'm going to play a little devil's advocate with the theory here because I do love it, but it also could be possible. Does it have to be an archon that Venti is healed from or just a god? From everything I read, it said that he can only be healed by archon power and no other means. Because if it were a god's power, Vanessa, regardless of 
if she's the pyro archon, she would have been a god because she ascended to Celestia, right? But an archon is one of our seven, almost the seven sovereigns. Can we just stop on there for a moment then? Just again, for our less traveled travelers, aka me. Um, difference between archon and god. First, I've been putting them together as the same thing. Of course. So there is a difference from my understanding, of course, and I could be very wrong. But from my understanding, there are gods and there are many gods out there. And then there are the seven archons. So the seven archons are the seven elemental archons that visions are bestowed upon people for. And those are the seven that won the archon war, th- what, 1700 years ago or something like that. So those seven people, we know all of them, I guess, technically. We know that there's a pyro archon. We don't know who it is. But Venti is an archon. Zhongli is an archon. Kusalani is an archon. A and Makoto were twin archons. There are gods mentioned in the game that aren't archons. Guizong, I might be pronouncing that wrong. She was Zhongli's friend slash possible lover that died. The salt god, the stove god. It's mentioned that there was a flower god in Sumeru that they talk about. They also mentioned the, I always pronounce it wrong. It's something with an O. It's the snake god that was killed in Inazuma that also was down in Watasumi Island. Oribashi. Orabashi, yes. Orabashi was a god. Technically, the electro moth that we fight is a god in Inazuma. Oh no, not the Thunderbird. Yes, the Thunderbird is technically a god. So there are a lot of gods around. Uh, And Andreas, I'm sorry, Andreas is also considered a god, but he's not an archon. He was offered to become an archon, but he wasn't. I would even so much as to say that Istaroth was a god because the seven archons weren't a thing yet when Istaroth was around. So that's my understanding is that there are lots of gods out there, but not archons. There's only supposed to be seven archons. And that's what's really interesting, like little Sumeru spoiler for people. That's what I find really interesting with what we currently know with no crazy theories implemented about Sumeru is that the original greater lord died and Kusalani was supposedly born. I don't know if she was actually born. I don't know if Kusalani is actually the greater god, but with all her memories wipe would make sense to me since the academia is keeping her locked away. But the, who am I to tell? Anyway, there's a lot of weird things with archons there. Why did Kusalani all of a sudden become the new archon? So seven archons. That's it. Seven with the greater powers, seven with gnosis as well. I would say that also is the biggest difference is Archons have a gnosis which attaches them to Celestia. And the gnosises, for our travelers who might not know, are the little chest-shaped pieces that the Fatui are trying to steal. We see Signora take Venti's and Zhongli's, and we see Scaramouche run away with the Electro. Yeah, it makes me very sus about, like, why are you attached to Celestia? Yeah, and it's also interesting because Venti, like, there's a lot of theories out there that Venti just gave his gnosis up to Signora and pretended to put up a fight. There's a lot of theories out there that Venti, because of his whole mantra of, like, gods shouldn't be ruling people, doesn't want to be associated with Celestia anymore. Mm. Which also would be interesting if, you know, Vanessa originally had that mindset with him. It's what seems to have drawn him to her. And then if she did become the Pyro Archon, he could be totally fed up with this point at everything Celestia related and be like, fuck you guys. You're taking my friend away. I hate her now. Blah, blah, blah. Just my theory, though. Can we just quickly go back to the Primordial one? Yeah, go for it. 
So there's a moment in the manga when Venti is talking about the creation of the world, basically. And he says, Pangu gave his blood to form the rivers and seas. The god sacrificed Purusha and cut his body into pieces and then fashioned all living beings with those parts. The brain of the giant emir became clouds. Their sacrifices seeded life in the unliving cosmos. These songs sing of the primeval one. So if you Google Pongu, that's the Chinese god that is it, the first thing you see is primordial one. Ooh, okay. Purusha is an Indian god. Emir is a Norse god. So my theory is that Pangu is the, the primordial one, and that maybe Purusha, Emir, Pangu, and Istaroth are the four shades that he splits himself into or herself. Oh, that's very interesting. Because and primordial would just really signify that it's the first, right? Like the oldest and stuff. Yeah, I think so. I think in Genshin, that's what it means. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Doesn't the primordial one also fight someone at one point? Oh, he who came second or something like that. Right. <laughs> so silly. He who came second was a bitch and got slapped. And then I think <laughs> that's when the primordial one divided. Because it's like something like he who came second fought the primordial one and that fight is what sunk Inkanomiya into the sea. I mean, nobody wants to come second. <laughs> I mean, sometimes. But... I'm dead. I'm dead. <laughs> well, travelers, on that note, I think that's all the time we have today. And thank you for deep diving with us into Vanessa, Primordial One, Venti, Maradas, Pyro Archons. There was really a lot to unpack in this episode, and we'd love to hear what everyone thinks. So please feel free to give us a follow on Instagram, Tales of Tavat Pod, or on Twitter, Tales of Tavat, and tweet us or comment at us and let us know what your thoughts were on today's podcast, what some of your theories and ideas are. Otherwise, we hope to hear from you guys next week when we'll be talking about the Yakshas in Leeway. Otherwise, safe journey, travelers. Bye, nerds.